0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode seven hundred and thirty-two with chef Michael Gulada. I just think there was a bubble where
1: everyone thought that being a chef was cool and so they ran out to be chefs. But I wouldn't do this unless you really want like you have to give your life over to it. It's there's no other way. and we forget about that. Like if you still go talk to the to the old like there's this old guy, Mr. Joe Empostado, who has Impostado's restaurant in Metairie. He is in his eighties and he still works. His restaurants closed two days a week. He works five days a week and he works from 8 a.m. He goes and takes a nap and then he works until 10 p.m. And it's the same. And that's the thing. If you're going to run one of these restaurants, if you're going to do this, then you have to, you are going to have to ask everyone in your life to change their rhythms for you because the restaurant unfortunately comes first because it's what pays all the bills.
0: Are you ready for it, it factors success stories? failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatori in and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on restaurants unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt. And you can't just adapt. You have to adapt fast with Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com/unstoppable and because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, for a limited time you will get 1 month free POS software, 3 months of free digital ordering tools and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. What's going on, Unstoppable? So before I let you know what we got in store for you today, I have to remind you, Toast POS, our sponsor, is a CPA sponsor, cost per acquisition, meaning we don't get paid unless you use our link and then buy the product afterwards. So if you haven't checked out toast pos and you're interested in a new pos hit pause right now head over to toast tab that's t-o-b tab.com slash unstoppable if you use that link toasttab.com slash unstoppable you can save up to two thousand dollars on your setup so here's how right Toast is going to be giving you up to $1,000 worth of incentives, and we're going to match that uh, and split our commission with you, giving you up to $2,000 worth of value. If you use our link. So if you have not gone to toast yet, you have to use our link first. Here's the thing. If you do a Google search for toast and they see that you came in through Google and you signed up or you interacted with one of their, uh, their robots, they're going to attribute the lead to a Google search into that robot interaction. So if you want the best deal out there, seriously, right now, before you, forget hit pause, go to dot slash unstoppable and get the best deal. So we have a great chat for you today. Michael Gulotta. Uh Michael is a leading chef restaurant tour out in New Orleans. And what I loved about today's conversation, you know, is the just the the realness that came from today's chat, the the vulnerability that came from today's chat, and you would think that somebody with uh, the the accolades and the prestige like Michael Galata, all this attention he's getting in the industry right now, you think that. Uh, he would be untouchable that, you know, he, he would have money put away and they, they would be cruising it and killing it. But the truth of the matter is, the state of our industry is just so vulnerable in general. Even before COVID 19, even the most successful businesses were paycheck to paycheck. And a lot of what we talk about today is just how unsustainable um, this is for people in the industry and how vulnerable we are. And it was raw, it was authentic, it was real. I loved it. We also get into the significance of travel when you're young, get out there, experience the world, uh, get that perspective. Also spending a portion of your career, opening restaurants for other people is the best experience you can get. Running restaurants, working in restaurants is one thing. Opening restaurants is a totally different game. Uh, so how he did that with John Besh, how that set him up for success. And also, uh, realizing that you really if you want to scale you really need those systems and processes in place you need structure to scale which is another big lesson he learned uh in the best restaurant group so uh great stuff came from today's chat i hope you enjoy it here it is with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef michael gulada michael you're feeling unstoppable today
1: Well, you know, I spent all (laughs) yesterday cleaning out a broken freezer, so I'm feeling like I can handle most things that (laughs) are thrown at me.
0: If you can get through that, you can get through (laughs) most things, right? So born and raised in New Orleans, Michael Galada began cooking at... Or in local restaurants at a young age, after graduating from the Chef John Fols, am I saying it correctly? Folsy Culinary School. Ful- uh, uh
1: Chef John Fols. Thank you,
0: Jeff Son- Jeff- Chef, Chef John Fols Culinary <laughs> Institute. He joined the newly opened restaurant August, uh, where he was named Chef de Cuisine in 2007 and led the award-winning kitchen for six years. In 2014, Michael opened Mofo to rate reviews and accolades. Before COVID-19, Michael has scaled uh, the operation to include Maypop in a second mofos located at the knee, at the new Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport. Man, I cannot wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Well, I don't know if it's a success quarter mantra, but we've always been big about
1: running please and thank you kitchens. Okay. Um, or please and thank you restaurants. I like it. Uh, you know. The the big thing was always I always felt tension between front of the house and back of the house and as well as the tension between, you know, chefs and cooks. And so um, I was raised, you know, my mom always raised me with please and thank you was her mm. biggest things. And so we really brought that into the restaurants, yeah. you know, even when even when you're stressed, you know, please. Thank you. Yeah. Even when even when the pressure's on a simple please, but it has to be it has to be a real please and thank you
0: why is it so important to work things like this into the, the like the fabric of your culture
1: because if people don't feel respected they're not gonna give you they're not gonna be part of the the, the team yeah um if they feel like they're disrespected then it, it just it it eats away at culture yeah and it and, you know I, and we and I've still done it i've still you know there's there's people who even though I didn't mean to felt like I wasn't treating them properly and you know and there were times where on really busy shifts and like one of my servers who's like a little sister to me i mean i just snapped at her because it was a stressful service and i pulled her aside afterwards and i said you know i'm really i'm really sorry for snapping at you
0: yeah and, and i think we're we're not going to be perfect all the time either and when we do have our shortcomings and we acknowledge our shortcomings it's so powerful to publicly acknowledge your shortcomings and to like apologize and like what what does that do well i mean There's also a certain
1: disarming quality to the please and the thank you if it's meant, if it's a heartfelt please and thank you. Yeah. Like, if I really appreciate the hard work that someone's doing, then I think they typically feel that. Mm. And there's still... And there's people who say, well, it's just, you know, nonsense or whatever. But I've always felt that it's... Like I said, I've made my mistakes as well, of course, but I, I have always tried to to diffuse that throughout, like, you know, because I have chefs that come from other companies and, the, and then those companies, you know, either the chef ruled the kitchen or they were allowed to be snarky with the staff. And, it, and it's a training process. Yeah. It's a training, you know, same with some, some of our general managers, you know, they come in and they're like, well, you know, I was treated like crap when I was coming up. And it's still one of those things that sticks in my head. It's like, God, I was, I, was, I worked for some toxic people and they put me in horrible situations and sometimes I want to, and I still... Like when we first opened Mofo, I hadn't really developed. Like I, th- I thought I was running a really positive and open kitchen when I ran Restaurant August, and I have cooks who come back to me being like, "Man, I respected working for you, but you were a terror." <laughs> uh,
0: but I mean, uh, that's actually something I'm, I'm excited to get into. I mean, we might have to put it on a back burner for now. But I know that uh, when you took over uh, when you were the chef de cuisine for Restaurant August, I know uh, John Besh kind of had you as like his. His developer, his trainer, like everybody that went to go on and open a restaurant under his um, umbrella of restaurants went through you and your training. Your is that isn't that like not everyone, but more
1: a, like right. mostly all the sous chefs. Okay, you know, the the chef to the different chef partners that he partnered up with. I mean, they, they worked a little bit with me, um, but it was really all the sous chefs came and worked with me while the restaurants were being developed.
0: Okay. Gotcha. And the
1: funny thing is, is, I was like 27 at the time, and I really didn't know what I was doing. You know, I only knew like, you know, the the very, you know, he was a Marine. And so it was a very militaristic kitchen. It was yeah. very brigade. It was very strict brigade. Um, you know, and I only I, I really only knew but at that time, I had already lived in Italy and, and worked in Italy. And I'd already lived and worked in Germany. And so I knew a lot of classical cooking techniques. I knew a lot of the rules. And so that just helped me. I just stuck to the things that I knew that I had learned, and because a lot of times I was training people that were older than me, yeah, you know, and, and I mean that happened a lot. like okay. one of my, one of my sous chefs was ten years older than Damn. me, and it's just like, dude, and he, he's like, what, you know, what can you tell me I'm like dude, I don't know what I can tell you, but I know how to make sure that the food that's going out tastes good,
0: yeah." I mean, how do you... Oh man, I'm so tempted to, to pull back the layers on this because I think it's good stuff to talk about. But I, I, I feel like we're skipping a, a big chunk of your career leading up <laughs> to this point, right? So let's, let's put that in the back burner and mm-hmm. I'll try to remember to bring that back <clears throat> up when we get to that part of your story. But when did you know this was going to be your path? Always.
1: That's one of those weird things. Like when I was... I used to admit when I was like eight and nine years old, I made my mom tape like Great Chefs, Great Cities and Yan Can Cook <laughs> and I would watch them... Um, and I was—I would order, like, I'd make her order me, like, kitchen stuff off of the infomercials. Okay.
0: So when did you start living intentionally to get on this path?
1: Um, my, I mean, I started cooking at home as far back as I can remember. And then after that, I w- got my first cooking job at 17. I literally wrecked my car. Yeah, during Mardi Gras, I hit a drunk driver. Some drunk guy just stopped in the middle of the street, and oh, I, re- I rear-ended him and wrecked my car. And I had to get a job like right away. Oh,
0: that's a bummer because
1: it was still like it was yeah. like the end of the school year and sports were done with. It was my senior year, so I got a job at the Planet Hollywood. My brother got me a job at the Planet Hollywood because he was a server there, and okay. I, I got I was a line cook at the Planet Hollywood on Decatur Street. Of all the places I could have worked <laughs> in New Orleans, Louisiana, <laughs> as a grunt cook, I picked Planet Hollywood. But I
0: do think there are things to learn from corporate operations uh, because of that level yeah. of structure and system and process. I mean, I don't think that people flourish in those environments. Right. But at the same time, there is like you can find a happy medium, right? right? That's like one extreme. Did you learn anything during that time?
1: I, you know, it's funny because I just. We just really started reusing that information, and to be quite honest, I, I'm not even the one that put it into, into practice. It was my my chef de cuisine at, at Mofo that did Paul Shell. I mean, he was the one that really like everything used to be in portion bags. Yeah. So, so what do
0: you reusing that information mean? The information being you learned, like now wow. everything
1: at Mofo is portioned. Okay. It's portioned and wrapped, and I mean, we don't use bags. We use. Uh, we use um parchment paper you cut okay. part, like we get a little parchment paper like patty papers yep. and you roll everything up so yep. you don't have all that plastic waste yeah
0: man um so why, why what's the significance of that of going through those steps i, I feel like we're again. We're, we're in present time a mean
1: so the big thing is like i worked for chefs that were all about the food for so long yeah that i never worried about the bottom line yep. and so it was like my, my business partner came to me and he's like mike we have all these awards on the walls, and we are not, and we're broke.
0: Yeah, and that's a reality, man. Like, and it's something that I picked up on. Like the the people that others, and this isn't a, meant to be a bash yeah. by any means, please bash the, away. But the people that we all look up to when we admire in the industry for getting these accolades and being the best, right? Um, are even they are just getting by? And what does that say about the industry? What You know what? What needs hmm. to change within the industry if the even the best are like. Really, just like barely getting by, barely paying their employees. And I don't. I'm making assumptions here. I don't know if that's the reality of your situation, but I know it's the rea- the reality for a lot of other people I've interviewed. So, I mean, like I said, the, the whole COVID thing—it has to come yeah. into play here. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, right before COVID hit, we finally had both restaurants running. Like Mofo was running at a 22% food cost. Maypop was running at a at a 27 our labor was still through the roof. I mean, the big, the one thing that we just cannot control in restaurants is the labor because yeah. especially now, because I refuse to pay my cooks shit pay. Mm. And I refuse, you know, so it's, we can't go back to those days. When I started cooking in August, I was making $7 an hour, you know, and, and, and you, and, that wasn't
0: that long ago. That's 2007. Uh, no, no, I started, right. I
1: started cooking there in 2001.
0: One. Okay. Gotcha.
1: Making $7 an hour. Living on a friend's couch Just because I wanted to work At the best restaurant in the city Yeah And You know Once again You almost have to check Your privilege on that You know I I had enough friends With enough money Where I could live on someone's couch Or if I had to I could have gone back And lived at my mom's house To make sure I could live And work At this restaurant For seven dollars an hour To learn my craft Yeah and, and and so we come up with that same kind of thing. Well, I, if I had to work for that way, then they have to work that way too. It's like, dude, no, these people need a life. Yeah. Right? They need to be able to afford an apartment because like, the rents in New Orleans yeah. are stupid
0: high. That's actually a topic that I'm really torn on because I, I say to people, like, like, don't take a job. The first five, ten years, or five years at least of your career, take the job that's going to give you the knowledge and the, the network that you're going to need right. and the brand that you're going to need to... Get investors, and it's, you're writing your story, right? right? Do whatever it takes to get in those circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, like you're saying, like people need to live. So, like, where do we draw the line? Like, like how do you find that balance between sacrifice and defending yourself and, and getting what you deserve?
1: Right, and then, you know, so for everything leading up to once again the the end of the world that happened three months ago, mm-hmm. you know, I started having just serious conversations with each cook before they came on. I was like, man, like, what are your expenses like? What do you need? Like, I mean, and I'd be honest with them. I'd, I'd talk to them about the, the amount of revenue this place would make in a day, how much revenue we had to make in a month, and what my labor costs had to be, and we'd we'd settle on a on a pay price. It was yeah. usually anywhere between thirteen and fifteen dollars an hour.
0: Yeah, but that's a smart way of doing it. And honestly, like, that's what we should be teaching people is like, what do you need? Start their work backwards, right? right. Um, profit first. Like, what what do we need? What do you need to to to, to be healthy, right? right? Um, and more people, <clears throat> what, how do we get the whole industry to work like that? I feel like if everybody gets on that boat, if everybody gets on that page of like, we all agree that our employees are the most important thing, right? Like, right. How do we make, is that a regulation? Does it need to be a regulation? Like, I hope it doesn't. But
1: once on again, it comes down to the whole, are you going to do a minimum wage, uh, you know, a high minimum wage. Yeah. And then, and then it goes down to politics and fighting. And yeah. the problem is, is like how many we live in our own little bubble, those of us that came up working in great restaurants that want to open great restaurants, but how, but we always forget about that whole other side of the industry of fast, casual, um, you know, your chilies and your things like that. I mean, it's all about bottom line yeah. with those restaurants. Yeah. And then, and, but then that's also the problem that, you know, my business partner had to bring to me is like, we're not hitting our bottom line. Yeah. Like we're living paycheck to paycheck. We're living payroll to payroll. Yeah. You know, may and mofo's payroll combined every two Months was $130,000. Damn. And that's, that's two 80-seat restaurants. Because, a, we, because we pay our managers well. Yeah. Because we need good managers that no wine knowledge and no cocktail knowledge. Bar manager, you know, a chef de cuisine, two sous chefs. Yeah. And it's like... Because you have to cover all the shifts because I'm not going to do that to people what was done to me. They all get two days off.
0: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel like the solution is just the, the, what comes into my mind is just this, this idea of togetherness that seems to be echoing throughout the industry and throughout the world right now. When Whenever there's a huge disaster, like we put our differences aside and we come together, right? Um, and I hope that, that the spin off of all that's happening is that we start to realize that we need to find a balance. And I think that the talent, people like yourself who are, are craftsmen you know who focus mm-hmm. on the thing some people would say artists right come together well, what's the line between craft and art yeah what's that what's the? what's the I I had i
1: i've had this conversation in in bars with other line cooks since i was 19 years old the line between craft and art but you can't do art until you know the craft yeah and so you spend years learning your craft and you know we've always been a big proponent of taking time to learn your craft because how can i teach you how to make a hollandaise if i don't know how to make a hollandaise mm. and that's and that's the big problem with you know, all of the ability to pull everything off the internet. And like the, you know, I, I, when, uh, what was the, the, the crazy book that came out with all the breakdowns, like the $400 book set. that
0: Oh, um, uh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about, like, it has like it had, ten, 10 books or eight books to it.
1: No, 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 no. It was, uh, God, what is it called? Oh, uh, Modernist Cuisine. Yes. When Modernist Cuisine came out, I was like, dude, like this, this, what all was in this book, is knowledge that took me 10 years to learn. and if, But at the same time that I was learning it, I was also being shown over a hot stove. Yeah. And so there was this just this eruption of culinary knowledge, and then you have a lot of people who talk someone into backing a restaurant when the cook really just knows stuff from Modernist Cuisine and not yeah. actually how to Run a grind restaurant. on a, on a yeah. station. Because, like, here, I mean, I had a cook who had, you know, he had seizures, and one time he had a seizure, and I, I had to jump... I had to work sauté the rest of the night, mm. you know, and it's like, but I know how to work sauté. Yeah.
0: I know how to work a pasta station. It's one thing to know how to cook. It's another thing to know how to work in the restaurant environment.
1: Right. Is what I'm hearing. Which, which gets hard. And man, we're moving so fast. There was something I wanted to talk about. And <laughs> <Yeah. now
0: laughs> we're going to be jumping all over. The- there, there, was was like, there was
1: really a point that I wanted to make and then we moved. I try to stay chronological, <laughs> but honestly, I'm
0: loving the conversation, so I'm willing to let it kind okay, of Okay, you no, I got it. I got it. So
1: now with... The big problem now, okay, so the problem with the restaurants and the problem that there is not enough money for all the staff is because there's too much staff. Mm. And that's a serious issue. People want high service, but they don't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And and I understand because they they don't have money either. Yeah. You know, and, and so there, there was a... The, so COVID happened, but before COVID, there was already a bubble coming. Yeah. And the bubble came from... There was a whole... And the problem is, like, I am just like a whole bunch of other chefs. We We went and we worked our fucking asses off and we you got can say fucking we, by the way That's we we build, pe- <laughs> we build our we built our pedigrees yeah and we open great restaurants, but there's just too many great restaurants.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I agree with that sentiment that there's too many restaurants. Um, I think part of that issue is because of the fact that we have so many re- re- so much retail space is void because nobody's doing retail anymore. So right. the only thing that works in physical retail space is restaurants. So now you have Buku Bucks, people that are developers who have money that are building these buildings and need to put something right. into those buildings, just throwing money at restaurants. So there's like this infinite like bucket of people just throwing in investing. money investing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's too many restaurants, you know. So there's we're just, you know, I don't know. We're I feel like the, the conversation is supposed to be about you and your your story. But like I'm loving this. I mean, right this now. is a,
1: this is my story. This is the what this is the reality. And so right? the,
0: the problem is, is like if someone wants
1: to have great service here, and we even run this like yeah. there's no back waiter here. You know that we all we have is a food runner. Yeah, but we should have back waiters for the level of service we were doing here with wine service, and you know we were dropping mini Ardis, we were dropping um, a Moush bouche. I mean, we made them we made them more um you know like every mid level, like borderline high end, fast casual. It, we made it more communal, like it was a, it was an amuse for the whole table and everyone picked up A with their hands, same thing with the mini ardis But we were doing these things and I mean that really requires it's so many more steps to the to the dining experience. Yeah. And we we were running a really high like a really nice wine catalog and uh and that requires a lot of knowledge and a lot of learning. And so these staff were putting in the hours but we can't but we're also we couldn't demand the prices of like an august you know our guest check average was probably was around 45 dollars a head here
0: okay well, the guest
1: check average in august was closer to 70
0: so what changed between those two? is it just it's just
1: we you so we, for, a, we forget that fine dining restaurants are for two things the ultra rich and special occasions mm. And yet, now, so no more of us are trying to, to occupy that mid range because we need more people to come
0: through the door. Yeah. I mean, something that hasn't been brought up yet, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, if it's worth bringing to the conversation, but I think part, I feel that part of the, the issue is that our values as a general culture have changed. We don't put mm. the same amount of value on food as we used to. You look back to the 50s and 60s, I want to say 30 or 40% of everyone's income went to food. Like mm-hmm. that's what we valued. It was sustenance. It was our family. We're feeding. Now it's like 9%. Is that really true? I, I, I think it's, I, I don't know if there's, because I feel like
1: people, I, but I feel like another side of that is that people will go out and eat more now. But they want to but the, so because they they'll go out and eat three or four times a week, they want to pay less.
0: but we have a warped perception of the value well, of we food have a because of because of the <laughs> past thirty or forty years we've been just bottom line bottom line, bottom right. line more efficient, more efficient until we've got this sh- piece of shit like, yeah. that we've settled with you know and and it, it's cheap to put that out, but that becomes a new standard, the new perception of what it costs. Have you ever re- read the last days of hot cuisine i haven't all right it's a good book to read okay and and
1: actually. That's n- – what you're saying is it was – but it was more home cooking. Because, Which is like, true. It, it was like the – because hot cuisine was literally only for the uber rich. Yeah. And it was f- what the French chefs – it wasn't even what they wanted to eat in their spare time. It's what they thought the wealthy wanted. And so – and then it wasn't until – and, and uh, God, I wish I knew the time frame. But it was like it, the early 80s was yeah. when all those chefs started to actually serve like – they were serving one thing, but then they were in the back eating really awesome sausages and potato campañas like with each other kinda of like, like someone would bring one in and they would all eat it with really crusty bread. but out front, they were serving these really like delicate rolls and really like butter poach lobster, but
0: they didn't eat that shit at home yeah well i mean i I should preface this i don't know the the exact percentages mm-hmm. I, I, the 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 book that I read that talked about this was the the town the food the town that food saved which okay, profiles yeah. a restaurant or a town in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about like the, like how value has right, shifted. Okay. Um, so if you guys want to fact check me, check out that <laughs> book, i I have it on audio in my car. Maybe I'll listen to it on my way back to Texas. Um, but I, I think what you, but what you said is that, uh, they were cooking at home. So you would think that they would have been spending less money because they were cooking at home back at this time. Right. But of course was, that was
1: also like the, 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 the age of like the, the uh, what is it? The TV dinner? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Things that everything came out of a can. I mean, when, when my mom, when I grew up, my mom cooked everything out of a can. But was, people
0: were still spending more of their income on food right. then, when they were cooking at home, mm-hmm. and if it was on TV, than than they are now. Which t- to me means that the right. value meal just destroyed, like pulled. You know what I'm saying? Like when you could get a whole meal for 250. You uh, know what I'm saying? So you're talking like,
1: about fast food. Well, I'm talking <laughs> about food in general. You know, like
0: but they, that for a while, like that was. I feel like we we just we just we got so efficient at right. doing food poorly. Poorly. But that became the new standard cuz it still tasted good. We're well, just like the red yeah. to, just
1: like the red tomato as opposed to the heirloom yeah. tomato.
0: I feel like we could go into the subject forever, but you know right. you know what I'm saying like yeah. I think I think it's a fundamental issue with our values. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that it's part of our responsibility. And this isn't my time to shine. I should probably be shutting up right yeah. now, but but it's a conversation. Yeah, but our responsibility as restaurateurs and restaurant owners is to educate people that listen, the food systems broke and we need to fix it. And that costs something, you know, what's another problem in America education?
1: No one likes to be educated here. No way. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I remember when we first opened MoFo and in the beginning, like I was getting everything from local farms, but MoFo's guest check average is $22 a head. Yeah. And we were just hemorrhaging money and, I literally was like talking to a guest at the bar one day and they're like, well, where do you get these chicken wings for the, like our chicken wing dish is like our number one dish. It's chicken wings tossed in a nook bomb caramel. Yeah. And she's just like, well, where do you get your chicken from? I'm like, it's commodity chicken. I'm like, I thought this was a whatever, whatever. I'm like, if I was to get that chicken from a local producer, you would have to pay $40 for that plate of chicken wings. Mm. Is that what you would like to do? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I just, yeah. I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think anyone's going to pay $40 for a, a plate of locally
0: sourced chicken wings. So what what would you say the answer is? And we'll we'll wrap up with this. We'll get back to your story, but what do you think the solution is? Well, I
1: think it's like you said, it is education, but if you notice it takes education in America takes huge cultural shifts. Mm-hmm. It takes fucking riots. It takes you know, cuz people are comfortable and they don't, and people no one likes to be uncomfortable. I mean, I, so one thing I can say about my old boss is he loved pushing people out of their comfort zones. Yeah. And people don't want to be told that they're doing it wrong. No one wants to be told that they're wrong. Yeah. It's a, it's just human nature, and so trying to teach people. I mean, we we you know we got people to to start eating somewhat healthier again, but we need to go even further. Like it, it's been a battle just to start taking the like because you can still go anywhere in New Orleans and still get the giant eight ounce fillet of fish topped with like two pounds of crab meat. That
0: sounds awesome, right?
1: <laughs> but like here, I don't know where they're getting that fish from, and I don't know where they're getting that crab meat from. But yeah. here, we use only Louisiana crab meat, which costs. Anywhere jumbo lump costs anywhere between twenty eight and thirty four dollars a pound and locally caught uh, drum cost ten dollars a pound and they want me to serve that for sixteen dollars at lunch and if you and if anyone in here listening to this is in the culinary industry and yeah. in, you know do the fast math on ten dollar pound fish and twenty eight to thirty four dollar pound crab meat and they want to have ten ounces of fish and they want to have two ounces of crab meat and they want that for sixteen
0: dollars not very sustainable right no. yeah or so it's impossible. possible sure. i didn't do the math but it can't, is there a margin there <laughs> there's no margin yeah I, was, I mean so I, I feel what you're saying but i do i'm also hopeful because what you said that it, it's going to take a, a cultural shift you said like it's going right. to have to take like a, a big cultural change and there has never been a time mm-hmm. where we can influence people faster than now. Where we where it doesn't matter how much money you have. Whoever has the best message gets the attention. And I feel like, you know, like the, the the channels of communication are fragmented. That's Everyone, also a bold
1: statement because there's a lot of good messages that are being drowned out.
0: Yeah, but at the same time there's a lot I feel like you know, you go back 20 years Is it years the best ago, message
1: or the messages that people can cling to?
0: There's a lot of messages. Right now. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to, to even decide which message is the right message because like there's right. pros and cons to each message and yeah. then it's a lo- very confusing time. But the fact that that masks and statues all day long. Right. But, but the, I think the fact that, that no matter who you are, you have the same ability to get a, a message out. Got it. You know what I'm saying? Whereas before there were a few channels that were that were able to deliver the message. Mm. If you had the channel, if you own the channel of communication, you own the message Right. But now anybody can send out a message, you right. know, and I think that that's hopeful and the messages can get out across the world in less than 24 hours. That's true. You know? So I feel like m- information is moving faster than ever. So we can, if we have, I think innately people want to do the right thing. But if oh, like yeah. you said, it's hard to do the right thing. We don't want to be told we're doing the wrong thing.
1: Right. It was one of those ones you always want to appeal, to appeal to someone's better nature. Yeah. That's exactly. one another good one that I teach my managers all the time. Like, try to always appeal to someone's better nature. Yeah. Like, no one wants to be a dick.
0: Yeah. Some people do want to be a dick, but most people don't want to be a dick. Exactly. I mean, I think we could go around in circles on this all day, <laughs> but I think that, you know, there is some hope. You know, right. we, we, we can't get... Like, look, I'm... Joe Schmo, Eric Cacciatore from East Bumpfuck, New Hampshire, with the podcast. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, if I can get a message out, anybody right. can get a message out. So, um, back to your story, though, man. Like Got early, it. early on. So, I know you mentioned you worked. Um, you worked for uh, what was it? His name? Uh, False. False. John False. John False. You also worked for Emeril Lagasse before going. To- Emeril was a pretty fast stint. I worked
1: at uh, his Delmonico restaurant, okay. literally for like a summer. That was, that was fast. Okay. You know. And um, you spent a bunch, a bunch of time overseas, too. I was in
0: Italy for eight months. I was in Germany for a year and a half. Okay. Any key lessons, any knowledge about travel or, or advice about travel for a professional in this industry? Well, I mean, once again, it's changed. Yeah. Back, back then. Can't do it now. Right. Well, yeah. We, uh, <laughs> well, I
1: mean, I wasn't even talking about that. Like, it's harder and harder to find a place to work over there now. And, you know, they don't... Like, for... Italy, I literally was illegal the whole time I was there. Um, You know, I worked in a a beautiful little restaurant. And the cool thing about there is that, you know, you really do learn... You have... You do have a much... Like you were talking about with food culture in America. You have a much better respect for food when you go learn it in Europe because... They've already been through all this shit and they just want to have good
0: food. What do you mean shit?
1: Like they already went through the war and after yeah. the war and when they're eating out of cans yeah. and it's like they've gone, they've gotten back to their roots of, their history is just older. Yeah. Like America's still trying to figure itself out. Yeah. We're still, we're still like a fucking adolescent, mm-hmm. you know, we're, st- we're going through puberty exactly. whereas like with Italy and their food culture and Germany and their food culture, I mean Germany, God man, like we, we do, we, everything was from a market because there wasn't any other option you know, and all the animals were from the local neighborhood. There was a local butcher that made all of our, you know, if we didn't make it in house because we did a lot of our own butchering, my chef was a big hunter and, and they could sell the wild game. Once again, like the over lawyering of America where we can't serve any wild game because someone might get sick when it's like, dude, you know, like why, why can't, why can't we go hunt all these feral hogs that are overpopulating but there's like all these laws against it. I mean, they've been trying to fix it to where they can we can trap and serve uh, feral hogs in the restaurants. But I don't even I don't it has never caught on. Yeah. Um, but also because Americans don't want that gamey meat, they'll eat it if it's they shoot delicious. it themselves, but they won't eat it if we serve it. Yeah. Um, but so back to Germany. So we would shoot. He would shoot all the. He and his friends would shoot all of the wild game, and then they would sell it to the restaurant. I think that's how they would pay for their hunting leases. Okay. And so we had a full butcher shop. We could take everything off the hoof. So everything came in. There was a separate uh, butcher area that was separate from the main kitchen. We would, there, was a, there was a hanging closet that let them hang for a few days and soften up. Then we'd, then we'd uh, skin them, break them down, um, do it all in-house make all of our own pates and terrines make all of our own sausages but he also had his own cheese making i mean he was a special case yeah you is know, this it, the
0: same place that you sent um i've uh,
1: sent about a, i've sent about 20 30 people there okay
0: yeah because i know that
1: um i'm trace Trey, thank you very much trey and uh blake
0: blake both went there both
1: went um um, I just had one cook come back right before the COVID nonsense, and I have one cook over there who's now stuck yeah. there in, in Leving, and loving it. He just bought an apartment. And he's like, I'm not leaving here. Yeah,
0: and, the, and these are the chefs over at Saint Germain <clears throat> that we had the opportunity to talk to earlier in the week. If you guys are curious, but um, I mean, were, were your biggest lessons? I mean, I know you must have learned so much about food, but do you think that the lessons around food, or was it the cultural lessons that made a <laughs> bigger influence on you? <laughs> I mean, I don't know.
1: Like my chef in Italy was nuts. I mean, yeah. literally, he and his wife would just yell at each other all day long. And then I'd be like, why are you angry? And they'd be like, we're not angry.
0: Yeah. But <laughs> then they would also invite you in to have dinner at their table. Right. right. Which, you know, like how many of the people that work in your, and this isn't putting judgment on you, it's just American culture. Like how many of your chefs come into your house and eat it? Right. You know, like maybe a few. I don't know. But across the boards at all restaurants, probably not that many. No. You know?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it was, I mean, well, the thing is like the re- we had, there was two cooks. There was only two of us, and we would. I mean, and I. And for lunch, we would serve hundreds of people with two cooks. It was all just. It was just pasta, 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 and yeah. and salads, and that's all it was. And baked fish sometimes, you know. But at dinner, but dinner time at that restaurant was, uh, no menu, no menu, just uh, tasting like like ten course tasting menu, and it was just like simple, simple things. Gotcha. You know, like fried calamari and but fried in olive oil kind of thing, and then like really fresh pastas and salt baked fish, and you know, so it was. And we get all of our pasta from a local bakery. You know, I, I just, so yeah, I learned a lot about their culture. I don't know if Marco, Marco Balo was the guy, was the chef's name. I don't know if he taught me anything as like a mentor. Okay. I mean, I guess like as a, as a personal growth mentor, you know, like I was there for a good amount of time, but it was all more about just learning his very simplistic approach to food. Okay. Um, I mean, he was still a good guy. Like, I had to ride around on the back of his scooter a lot with me, like holding onto him, which was weird. But that's in you know in Italy, that's normal. Yeah. But you know, he took me. He helped me get a cell phone so I could call home, and like he gave me. I lived above their tool shed. They didn't pay me. You know, I think I left. I left town. I left and did like got a day off, like a handful of times. And each time I would get a day off, they'd give me like a couple of euro to go spend. You know, but other than that, I worked for free.
0: Yeah. So. What was the biggest impression this experience made on you that you think has influenced you to this day if you had a like narrow town? Proper way to make pasta. Yeah.
1: I mean that's what it was. It was just and still I forget about some of the things I learned. Like I don't ever salt baked fish and we salt baked fish all day there. Yeah. Our biggest thing was like either salt baking or roasting fish, and I never do that. Which okay. is like but also like I can't even do the pasta they did there. You know, there we had these big beautiful gambori, the big beautiful like ruby red shrimp, gamboroso. rosso. And you'd literally just simmer them in a pan with fresh tomatoes, a li- like a little bit of house-made tomato sauce, a little bit of chilies, olive oil, and you'd, you'd simmer them in there, heads on and everything, and then you'd just crush the head, shell on, and then you'd throw the pasta in there and toss, toss, toss the pasta in it while the chef emulsified extra virgin olive oil do it, and that was it, and you just served it like that, and, and like, Italians don't care. But, like, I tried doing that here in America, and they're like, why the fuck is the head on my shrimp? <laughs> and Because like, that's where the flavor is. But that, but Amer- Americans can't be. Yeah. It, it's weird because, like, they, you know, like, people in New Orleans will go and eat hard shell crabs all day long. We don't want, I did a pasta once where, where literally we just tossed the whole hard shell crab in the pasta to get the flavor. And, like, people were pissed. We got all these negative Yelp reviews because they found shell in their pasta. And it's like, dude people suck <laughs> not, like, I don't
0: know what to say and like i had to uh, cha- i
1: did i had to change the dish so then we ended up like we would put the, the crab in the sauce cook it in the sauce then pull the crab body out yeah. along with any fucking bits of shell and then toss 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 with all the flavors and then like perch the crab back on top but i think
0: th- just getting that perspective to realize how unreasonable like our general public is because and i think again it goes back to how processed everything was and that right. became the new standard you know it's we like, need I can't be inconvenienced yeah you know it's weird um so you went to Germany too. Mm-hmm. Um, you got paid for that job. You're working at a hotel. The Germans right? paid me real well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Any key experience? I, an I, I had a nice apartment. Yeah. I had a car. Like, nice. like I, I wasn't going to leave Germany. Right. Hurricane Katrina hit, and I came home. Um, but my my chef and you know my chef in Germany was and still is a, a you know a great guy. He had his flaws. I mean, he he liked to yell and scream. He one time came at me with a wooden spoon, and I was like, absolutely not. You know, I wrestled. Right. Like we're not gonna, like, we're <laughs> not going to do this. Like you can threaten all your little interns, but you're not. And I fuck And I fucked up. I yeah. fucked up a, a, a dessert because they made me the pastry chef for a while because yeah. the pastry chef quit and i made a i made a sorbet for a for a, a private event a champagne sorbet and i i didn't know enough about the alcohol levels and everything and so the, the top of the sorbet looked great and we checked it and then when the party happened the entire bottom was liquid alcohol Ooh. and so i did, i had, i was like three orders too short and so i had to like give like three people just the the shitties the like lemon sorbet that we had yeah and um and he was pissed he came at you with a spoon. And he came at me and I was like, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's I'm, I was like, chef, I fucked up. It'll never happen again. I'm so sorry. Just I, it'll never happen again. He's like, okay, okay. And, you know, but he was also like, I became like his traveling buddy. Like he would yeah. do events because he was, he, he, he's kind of like industry famous. Yeah. He's not really a lot of, a lot of famous chefs come and eat at his restaurant because he still does everything the old school way. Like he never really changed over to doing like really modern cuisine. Okay. He still does very traditional um, uh, Schwarzwald, Hochschwarzwald cuisine, which is the high black forest. Okay. Um, and, and so a lot of great chefs come there to eat his very traditional food. And so we would go do all these events and I'd drive with him. I'd be his driver. Like he'd drive there and I'd drive back kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, so he and I became really good friends. Um and he was going to let me stay. I wasn't going to leave. And then Katrina hit. And so I, had, I was like, I got to go. Yeah. Because I, I by the end, I was one of the few people that actually learned German. So by the end, I was the expediter. I was expediting in German and, and running the kitchen if he wasn't so in there.
0: So what was the biggest impression of this experience in Germany? If there was one lesson that you you, that you were able to hang on to? Maybe it's not so obvious, but. I think, you know, the. it's just being in
1: Europe. It's being able to go to the, because even like. Like we try to do these markets, but it's not like European markets. Yeah, you know, they, you know, well California probably comes the closest with its markets every day like you can go to, like a, when you're up in Napa and Sonoma and, and all those places. And you know, but every little town in, in Europe, they just they've been doing the market like that for hundreds of years. Yeah. and you just go there and you find and like I was I went to I got to go to I finally got to leave the country again recently. I went to, to Denmark. I went to I got to go to Noma. And uh, and I just God I hadn't and that we just walked the market that day yeah. and I'm like, God if I miss this, like you can get anything you want in these markets. And it's not some
0: show to put on, like it's just they just do it. They've been doing it forever. Yeah.
1: And it's just it's just it's an appreciation
0: and a love for food. Y- and I listening to you talk about these markets, I can't help but think of my five months in Thailand, where mm. just every other day there's a staple market and that there's there's always a market to find and oh, yeah. people base their lives around these markets and like they like and everybody goes and it's like it's kind of like a fair you right. know like a like a like a like a, bizarre. Re- like a weekly fair that come- <laughs> yeah that just keeps <laughs> coming up and uh I don't know why we don't do that here like why what is, like why don't we it's hot outside? It's hot in Thailand, man. Like, <laughs> that's different.
1: They're used to it. Yeah, that's true. I hear you.
0: But uh, there's so no, much. I mean, there's I'm, I'm, making of fun of, I'm
1: making fun of us as a culture. Yeah, Time outside. We don't yeah, want to. We, we wanna have wanna
0: wild, be, yeah, there's air conditioning, right? Right. All right. So we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll talk about why you came back and, and uh, what it was like working for John Bash while he was scaling like crazy in the mm-hmm. mid-2000s. Uh, Did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two-thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause to learn. Or more head to toasttab.com/slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time, get one month of free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000. One more time that's Tab dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars we're back and uh why did you feel the need Why the why why do you need to come back to, to new orleans well my mom's house got 16 feet of water in it okay that's good
1: enough. so that's awesome. i was like i just need to be around family i got to yeah. get home you know that the city was, was me. It, it completely annihilated so yeah and i actually called john because i'd already worked for john before i left mm-hmm he actually got me the job, and so the way it worked is I started here. I started uh, here. I started in August, right before I secured my my trip to Italy. Okay. And the first thing I said was, like, "Hey, man! Like I finally got. I applied there like three times, and I couldn't get. Everyone wanted to work for him at the time. And he this just kept, Marco. What's that? Mar-
0: or no, John no, no, no. Bresch. Uh, John Bash. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: Everyone wanted to work for him because he just you know he well actually he got five beans. He gotten four beans. So everyone wanted to work there because back then was a beans five is the highest. Okay. They actually got five while I was there, but so everyone wanted to work there. I kept applying. I had to stage two days in a row. Each day was like twelve hours. Not twelve hours. It was like eight nine hours of staging. Two two days in a row. I finally got the job and I'm like, dude, I just secured this trip to Europe. And he's like, you know what? I love that. I, I want cooks who are going to Europe. Like nice. I want cooks who want to go learn. So I worked uh like a few I worked like a few months, like two months, three months. Got on the plane, went to Italy was in Italy for eight months, then called him and was like, Hey, I'm coming back. He's like, I got your I got a spot for you. I got back, I started work and um I should have said in Italy. Back then I was I was you know, I was twenty one at the time and I had already bought my plane ticket when I left and so I, I you know it was back before it was so easy just to change plane yeah. tickets. I like, guess it was before Google Maps and yeah. stuff. Like I was literally using a map to get around and you know cell phones were still the little uh Nokia's right <laughs> and uh, and I was like, I better go home. So I got home, and he still had the job for me. And as soon as I got off the plane, he's like, "What do you want to do now?" I'm like, "I want to get back to Europe." And he's like, "He's like, okay, well, I have a, you know, I haven't sent anyone to my old friend in Germany in a long time because the last person I like the last two guys I sent like wigged out and didn't like it because it is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you're literally in the middle of nowhere, and I'm an introvert by yep. nature. Like I, I, I don't mind quiet places. Okay. And he's like, "Do you want to go back?" And I'm, like, "Do you want to go there?" I haven't sent anyone in a long time, and I'm like, "Hell yeah, I want to go." He's like, oh, you got to give me a few months. So I came back on at the tournant for a few months. <clears throat> and then I left in 2004. So I think I was in Italy for 2002, 2003. Came back for a few months and got back to Germany in 2004. Okay. Um, and, I, and I was there from 2004 all the way to like halfway through this 2005. This is the Black Forest. Black Forest. So yeah. it's called, uh, it's, they call it the Hochschwarzwald, which is the okay. High Black Forest. Gotcha. Um, it's... Uh, Baden-Württemberg is the region, and so it's right by uh, Freiburg and Breisgau. Okay. And it's this... I, I just loved it. Yeah. You know, like, I love... I, I kind of like seclusion. I'm kind of that kind of guy. So, I mean, it was just... It, it wore on me. There's like a... It, because I didn't know German in the beginning, like, I was studying it the whole time. I was riding the streetcar to work every day at August and, like, and like learning German, reading it, uh, you know, had the headphones on back when it was on yeah. fucking CD. <laughs> I'm old. And so, <laughs> learning my German and really, like, I wanted to immerse myself. And, you know, when I got there, there was a guy that, that um, another uh, American who was really pissing the chef off. Uh, but the guy did, like, refuse to learn German. And the whole time I was there, the guy, like, it wasn't until that guy I left. And when he left, I was like, all right, no one speaks English to me anymore in this restaurant. Nice. And they all, and I've, I've found that the number one thing to learn was how do you say this in German? das auf Deutsch. Yeah, and once I learned that, then it was like no one. So I just I would never break back into English, and then from there I just really learned it. And by the end, I was I was like seventy five, eighty percent fluent. That's pretty awesome. I, but they say
0: immersion is the, the best way to do it. The only, I mean, yeah. it's the only way. Yeah. So um, so you were in Italy. You went to Germany. You came back to the states, and you went no, because this is two thousand. So when so
1: it was uh, gotcha, it was gotcha. Restaurant August. Gotcha. Italy. Yep. Restaurant August. Germany. Germany hurricane katrina back while i was in germany hurricane gotcha. Katrina hit while i was in germany i watched it on german cnn Yeah. and then i flew back uh i stayed till because i probably stayed until november yeah early november and then it was uh you know i called john and i'm like hey man like you know how's everything in the city and he's like oh we're, go- we're gonna try to reopen like you need to get back over here and i called my mom and she's like well the house is gone so you know there's no real rush yet you yeah. can stay longer if you want and i was like eh. there's no place for you <laughs> right yeah there literally wasn't so can like for, do? for the yeah. first few months i lived above august there was okay. a penthouse nice and i lived up there and just worked every day
0: but i mean uh, the thing that i was hoping to really get into because hurricane, i think it's very safe to say a heart hurricane katrina was a devastation right, right. um and it was, it was almost kind of like where we are now where in the sense that like we aren't physically devastated but there's regardless cash flow has stopped right Right. just like it's like a slow burning hurricane yeah it's like it's still spinning over the city exactly right um but when things did pass with hurricane katrina uh, that's when john besh's restaurants he went from two locations to like 12 in like four years right Uh, yeah it was it was close to that god it was really fast point being is that when there's devastation there's almost always opportunity and um not like you you don't want to be you don't want to sound like a narcissist, or not maybe not a narcissist, but like an opportunist. Um, but I think it's important to have that mentality and to know that like it might suck now, but if we can stay, if we can hang on, like what's it going to look like after all this? Uh, point counterpoint. You make
1: a good point, but yeah. also there's an unhealthy way to do it. What's the unhealthy way of doing it? The way that we did it. And how did you do it? Well, we had no system. Like there was no structure to the company, hence the giant uh, article that exposed John for, I mean, it just, there was
0: no structure. When you com- say company or structure, what, what kind of structure are you talking?
1: Meaning about? like we had no HR department. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, as like yeah. there was, there was each restaurant and the, like, he wanted it that way. He wanted each restaurant to be its own restaurant. Okay. Because it, no matter what, and you know, I give everyone credit where credit's due. He's an amazing chef. His yeah. ability, he has a photographic memory when it comes to cuisine. Um, you know, he, he remembers every meal he's ever had, you know, he used to have this, and I, am not dealing, like I'm so, I have a problem where I'm way too introverted and I hate to put anyone else out. Whereas like wherever he traveled, like when I traveled, I would just go and eat and then that was it. But wherever he traveled, he asked them for a menu. He had this giant crate in his office of menus from all over Mm -hmm. Italy, Germany, France, Spain. He kept every menu he ever, everywhere he ever ate, he kept the menu. And so a lot of times we just pull those old menus out and we were trying to develop, uh, Menu changes that August, we just pull those old menus out and just look for inspiration mm. of like, wow, what were people doing 10 years ago in France, in the countryside in France? Um, and so that ability to, and to just, and, he, and like we would never, he and I would never go in the kitchen and build dishes together. He would, we'd sit in his office, we'd write it out, and then I would go execute them. Okay. And that was like the first three years of me being chef de cuisine. Okay. And then the second three years, I almost completely took over the menu. Okay. And there was a lot of hiccups in between. I put some shitty food on the menu in August <laughs> when I was first trying to get. Uh, my bearings and there was a lot of him coming in being like, all right, well that's shit. And so there was a lot of that. Um, but as I gained confidence, it almost was where I knew I had to leave. Cause as I gained confidence, I started challenging him on things. Uh, and that's not his favorite way to be.
0: Uh, so, I mean, reflecting back, I mean, it's seven years is a lot of time to, you know, reflect on, right? Uh, you learned that there's a right way to scale, uh, that you need structure, right. while structure can be maybe a little stuffy and corporate. You're trying to avoid that corporate like mm-hmm. image, maybe. It, there's a necessity to it at times. Like, it, no, no, no agree I agree with that. And, right?
1: and no, it's and I'm still screwing that up. Like, I've had to unlearn bad habits and so, relearn them with my because because I'm the same way. Like, I still have a trouble doing doing all the paperwork. Mm-hmm. I you know I finally buckled down. Like, we never costed anything at Restaurant August. Okay. I literally, it was, like, it was like whatever came in and whatever went out. They would come to me every month and be like, okay, things aren't right. And it wasn't until like my last two years there where I started diligently costing the menu. And even then, it wasn't diligent. I just try to get it kind of right. But I think the problem is over there, there was a lot of like, well, we gave this away and we gave this giant party away. And they wouldn't tell me what that was. They would just come to me and give me a number. Well, your food cost was this. And you're like, dude, how do I know what that was? I mean, thankfully, there was huge banquets going out of August, which actually helped my food cost a lot. Because those, those dishes were pretty well set in place. We knew the pricing on them. Yeah. Um, whereas the menu in the, in the dining room was just, it had to be whatever was in season. It had to be something fresh. Like we were changing dishes every other week. It was constant changing in the menu. And so it's, it's almost impossible to cost that fast. Especially when you're usually on the pass, expediting. Mm. And so it was a very, like, I mean, running that place was literally like wrangling a fucking wild bronco Every day. Like, every day you walked in, you're just like, Jesus, what the fuck's going to happen today? I mean, it was just, and, and the thing is, like, John's favorite thing was pushing someone out of their comfort zone. You know, he used to tell me, he you know, as soon as you get a handle on this, I'm going to make it harder for you.
0: But, I mean, there, I think there's something to be learned in that. I think we, we, we can sell ourselves short if we're not willing to push the envelope, right? We, yeah, of course. So there is, there is a lot of growth in that. Um, why can that be dangerous?
1: Well, I mean, there's different sides that it takes a special kind of person. Yeah. You know, no one wanted to be the chef to cuisine of that restaurant. Yeah, I don't blame. <laughs> you. Yeah.
0: So reflecting back this time, I and mean, we learned the the, the significance of structure. What were like? The, I think you learned a lot of what not to do. Uh, like, for example, you, you you should you know price out. Your, yeah. Your no. money.
1: yeah. <laughs> like, but I it took but me. Like,
0: it took me a long time to do it in my restaurants. Yeah. So what are you like? What were the biggest that thing? The biggest impressions? Like whether it's lessons learned or things not to do that you that stuck with you to this day.
1: Well. I think it's, like, I don't know. I envy the chefs that can do it all. Like, I still feel like I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know wine that well. Like, I see, like, I worked for some chefs who could literally, the cook would come back and be like, hey, they want to know. And, he like, the chef would knew. Like, the, we had a, the chef at uh, Bittersweet uh, Plantation. Like, False had a chef to cuisine there. Yeah. Uh, this guy's name was Steve Zucker. And if, if, they, if the cooks came back, and I mean, if one of the servers came back and asked wine, he had, like, he knew every wine in the collection. hmm And I don't know that here. Yeah. I I mean, because it would be quite honest, I'm not a big drinker.
0: Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, I think some people are like that, and you can lean into that strength if that's your ability to know all this stuff to be the one stop shop. But there's nothing wrong with doing one thing really well either. Right. You know, and you have partners in your business, right? Uh, Yes. So do your partners compensate for your weaknesses?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, definitely.
0: You know, um,
1: Always, yeah. they they always have the the big dose of reality. Mm-hmm. I'm always just trying to push the food and push the service and, and really mainly the food. I can't. I have to be honest. Like I'm usually. I'm always trying to push the food and I do try to push a good culture.
0: Yeah. So I want to get one big nugget out of you before we transition to why you decided to do your own thing. Like so, like if if you could sum up like going into your own business, uh, leaving the John Bash family of restaurants, going into your own business, what was the one thing uh that that whole experience gave you that you said i'm gonna be different or i'm gonna do this or because of this i am gonna do this am i making any sense
1: yes i mean (sighs) you know my two business partner we all came from restaurant august okay and you know the biggest thing that we wanted to do we really became an employee's first um that was what we wanted. You know, whether or not we
0: succeeded, it's harder to say now. It's hard to, impl- I mean, pe- like we talk about it all the time. Like culture to, to take care of people is hard. Yeah. You know, it's not, I mean, we sh- it's a thing we should do, but it's not
1: easy. Like one of our rules was like the staff always gets paid. Because mm-hmm. we, we see, we saw too many, re- and it happened to August in the early days before John bought it from his old uh, boss. Because originally John didn't know it, he was just the chef. And he bought it from the original owner. But there was a time when people weren't getting paychecks and bills weren't getting paid and food was showing up and they wouldn't leave it until they got a check kind of thing. And we were always like, that's never going to happen. We're just going to close the doors. If like, we're never just not going to pay people, you know? And to be quite honest now with the COVID thing and the PPP that really screwed us. And we ended up having to like, we tried to give people money off the PPP and then we didn't have enough PPP. And so then we had to cut people back off of PPP and then they weren't able to get unemployment. And it's like for everything we tried to do right we still feel like we fucked it up in the end. Mm. And so, like, right now, it's just a very sore time because it's just like, dude, we really did a lot for our staff, but, like, right now, a lot of our staff's really pissed at us. Yeah. And it's not something we did intentionally. We thought we were doing the right thing,
0: it was a weird time for a solid two months. Like nobody knew what the right thing was. Nobody knew what the future held. Like right. it, it was a really f- confusing, frustrating time.
1: Because we were like, "Oh, we're gonna reopen Maypop. It's gonna happen," and that didn't happen. Yeah, it's still sitting, and we still don't feel like we can open it at all. Dude, but so uh, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if I answered your question or not. No, I don't know. I mean, honestly, like,
0: like, but I resonate with what you're saying. I, I owe Jared, the the guy who does my editing, uh, who's who's listening to this right now. I owe him. I think. Oh, 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 after this episode, probably over two thousand dollars.
1: You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's an uh, interesting way to call yourself out. <laughs> but you know,
0: but it, the, the truth of the matter is, like, like I would, like, I rely on sponsorships, and sponsors right. rely on restaurants buying their product to be able to pay to yeah. for marketing. Right. And when all the money dried up from restaurants, or like all my sponsors were just like, yeah, we're not going to do Q3. So like, right. you know, all my cash flow like dried up. But I, I, I feel like all we can do is continue to to, to go forward, right? You know, um, and nobody's at fault. Nobody's mm-hmm. to blame. It's just the, the, it's just a matter of fact, right. you know? Um, so, I mean, I think the world is right there with you, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. So like, don't beat yourself up too <laughs> bad. Um, well, I
1: mean, there's like a, yeah, it's, I think that's the, the problem right now is a lot of like, yeah, everyone's dealing with this. But I think the big thing that we tried to do when we left August was we wanted to have a restaurant where our employees were first. Cause a lot of times we found ourselves in situations where we were not able to treat our employees the way we wanted to treat them yeah we were put in really impossible situations where people were, were fired that we didn't feel like they should have been fired where we had to fire them physically where yeah. we were told to go fire people and we're like i don't really think this person needs to be fired
0: um a First, lot of things like that yeah so get second chances things like that trying to understand before just cutting the the, the cord Right. Yeah. So you said you had two business partners. I know mm-hmm. that you were working side by side with your brother, at, he, right. and he came over here with you too, right? Yes. So Although
1: he has just recently taken a sabbatical from the company.
0: Okay. So when you guys were breaking away from Bash, <clears throat> um, <throat> what, what, what was that process of finding investors? Uh, take us through that whole like projection.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. You would think that New Orleans is a really hard town, man, and if you ask any person that's come down here to try to open a restaurant this is what, probably one of the most cutthroat cities because we battle our own identity as far as like cajun creole cuisine so to try to do something different is really hard and so uh my brother and i originally were going around trying to trying to find investors and no one wanted to back us okay like no one was even interested originally we wanted to do an italian concept you well, this know because 2013. I, this,
0: would, this would have been
1: no when we first started doing this we, we were ready to get out we were doing this in like 2010 okay
0: so like three or four years of, of planning and trying to get investors. Right. Um,
1: and literally, our, our other friend Jeffrey Bybee came and he's like, I think I can talk. He had a relative. He's like, I think I can talk my relative into backing us. Okay. Because we all just wanted to get out.
0: And what was um, Bybee's role?
1: So Bybee is still my business. Like he was here yesterday with me cleaning out the, the broken freezer. Okay. Of all the rotten meat. Um, he is, so he is basically, well, now it's just he and I. Mm-hmm. so um we basically do everything i am typically back of the house and he's front of the house
0: so was he but working before best?
1: B- before yeah well he was a captain so best. he's worked he's worked as a captain in like every restaurant at every old school restaurant in the city he's gonna gotcha. he's been a captain in a, you know wine knowledge and all that stuff okay. he knows service backwards and forwards he's worked at every high-end restaurant uh in the city front of house same with my my brother, and my brother was an opening man was an opening trainer for Besh. He he helped open all of Besh's restaurants, and he worked for Harris and uh, he worked for Smith and Steakhouse. Okay, so as a manager, general manager in all roles. So
0: going into this this this, uh, this tripod, this trio, you're back of house, and you got two front of house.
1: Right. So it, it, and that was kind of a weird thing in the beginning, like originally. My brother wanted to do, like, the accounting, and Bibi was, like, doing the front of house, but then, like, Bobby just has a head for numbers. Okay. So, literally, he'd walk up, and he'd be like, well, that doesn't look right because this, this, and that. Like, dude, let's just, I'll, you know, just switch. Yeah. <laughs> like, all my brother's ever done is manage front of house. Like, yeah. why are we doing this? Yeah. Like, you do the numbers, but I don't want to do the numbers. I'm like, dude, like, come on. And so, finally, he took over the numbers, and that helped a lot, and it was a lot of just figuring it out. Yeah. And, and we really didn't know what we were doing. Okay. You know, there's a lot of imposter syndrome, man. Like, you don't know what you're doing. You half don't the time. know
0: until you know. You right. know, and I, th- I think a lot of people honestly don't know. Like, it's just kind of like, like with what's going on with COVID right now. Like, nobody really truly knows like what to do. You know, you don't know until you know. You just got to throw yourself right. into it. But, you didn't, you didn't but I mean, what. there was
1: it was there was a bloodlet like in the beginning. I just hired all the, no one knew, and still like you'd think that's why New Orleans is such a weird place because we were literally like we did not we were just going to open this little bitty fuss spot. And that was going to be the money to open like a higher end restaurant. Okay. But all of a sudden the fuss spot was on like on these national lists of most anticipated restaurants. We're like, what, are you, what is going <laughs> on here? Right. But no local people knew who we were and no local cooks knew who we were. So we couldn't, like. I literally had people with no cooking experience opening that restaurant. And I opened the restaurant. It was a nightmare. You know, the only people I had were Trey and Blake. They mm-hmm. were my two sous chefs and everyone else had no real cooking experience. And, we were trying to do like this crazy fusion food and I didn't even really know what I was doing. Um, you know, originally it was just supposed to be very laid back and then it, but all of a sudden like, you know, I had Andrew Nolten from bone app eating in there. Like, Oh, Andrew Nolton's in the dining room. You're like, dude, (laughs) you know, and, and you know, and, I had you know people from food and wine eating in the dining room and I had I had all these people and I'm like, I, I'm like God this is not what we anticipated yeah, get the hell out <laughs> right? it was, yeah. I mean it was kind of you're like yeah. you get out like I just wanted this to be a little place that could be busy yeah um, and I really didn't know what I was doing like I I grew up eating my friends vietnamese food but i had never been to southeast asia at that time.
0: Yeah. I mean i love the honesty right now. I really do. I want to like commend you. And i feel like that <laughs> no because i think a lot of people would put like a facade up, you know, or or just like spin bullshit to, to seem right. like they knew what they were doing. But i love the how you're getting vulnerable, you're getting real with us. But and, and i'm assuming over the past 6 years you've learned something though. Like you have you like you're admitting that back That You had to go through this period of learning and figuring it out. What were the biggest lessons you did learn? Knowing what you know now, like what do you wish you knew then?
1: Well, I don't know. I don't know if if I would have gone to in like... Because at the time, I mean, I did this all the... I literally got married, bought a house, had twin boys, and then opened a restaurant. All within like three years. Mm -hmm. Worst. This is the worst decision because now I'm divorced and oh, I'm I have sorry. one... It's fine. <laughs> it's like I've, this I, This happened three years ago. Okay. You know, and it, but it was just like I did all these things. I did too many things at once and I didn't give each one the time it was due. Mm-hmm. Like everything in my life, I was just rushing through it mm-hmm. trying to just get it done because that's what I was trained to do as a cook. You get it fucking done. You do it to the best of your ability. And so I was just pushing through and I should have done... The, I, if we were going to do... a fucking vietnamese restaurant i should have found the money and gone to vietnam and done some training yeah now i did grow up with a lot of vietnamese friends and i did grow up eating in their homes and i and all that part is true like i did go and you know eat really awesome pancakes and and sing karaoke and drink cheap beer like i did that yeah. at my friend's houses and so i had really good vietnamese food and i grew up with really good vietnamese food but i don't think that was enough and but but would mofo have not been this really awesome uh confluence of flavors if I had done that would I have tried to make it too Vietnamese and too traditional if I would have gone to Vietnam I don't know I don't know the answer to that because I did go travel to recently in the past two years I went to Laos and in Thailand and Singapore and it totally transformed Maypop's menu yeah you know because now like I, I found a really awesome chef to cuisine chef Paul who runs mofo he lives in Southeast Asia, well, not this year because of COVID, but his wife does uh, non-profit work where they, they teach reproductive health to, like, indigenous tribes in Southeast Asia. Okay. So, he spends months there every summer. It's, like, a deal we have worked out where, like, he works his ass off for 10 months and then two months he goes to Southeast Asia. And he brings back all these great ideas. And so, one year, he's like, you really need to go with me. And so, I went with him. And when I got back here, like, it just totally changed the way I saw the menu. How? because i got cuz just like when i was in italy and france and germany when i get to eat a dish and i'm like okay well this is what bourride is supposed to taste like or this is you know this is what a real pasta is supposed to taste like or this is what a real uh um uh sauerbraten tastes like then i can use that information where when i went there i'm like okay this is like i had tom yum in bangkok i had boat noodles in bangkok it's like okay and so i immediately came back and put on a boat noodle dish yeah and, but it's half new orleans and it's half Bangkok gotcha you know and so i'm able to really meld and then people are like holy crap that's really good i'm like yeah because now i have the new orleans Friend knowledge. reference i have the fresh pasta knowledge from living in italy and now i, I can I, i've actually eaten in bangkok and i can tell you like we came back and did this really awesome tom yum here yeah with uh with florida clams and louisiana shrimp and house-made uh noodles in this really awesome tom yum broth and we finished it with this really awesome shrimp oil and ch- shrimp chili oil and like it was just this dish that we put it on right when I got back, and we kept it on for almost an entire year. And it was just a—it was just a bang-up dish. Like we got great reviews on it, and it's just that ability to—you
0: know—it's part inspiration, it's part frame of reference, you right. know. And, and uh, I can see definitely how that would serve you. But I think the big lesson I'm getting, as far as like what reflecting back, like what advice you would give to somebody, is like you don't need to plow through, you don't need to rush. You can be a little bit more intentional. You can be a little bit more—I um, don't know—is that—is that a good summary well, of what you're saying or? But
1: I don't but I don't know if that would even help anyone.
0: Okay. Because you know, it's like
1: if you would go back and tell your 26 or 28 year old self like impart wisdom, would your 28 year old self really Probably fucking not. listen? No. <laughs> Absolutely because at the time I had, you know, I had John breathing down once. I literally he was still on me every day. And I was afraid that if he found out I was looking for investors that he'd fire me and I had two kids. Yeah. And a house. Yeah. And so I had to do it all secretively while I was still running one of the busiest restaurants in the city.
0: Did it ever occur or did, did it cross your mind to maybe ask John for your own restaurant or was that just not? Oh, he the and point? I had that
1: fight a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had not, I want. know he, wanted me to, Alan, he wanted me to take August.
0: I, yeah. Cause I, I had a lawn Shia on the show as mm-hmm. well. And I know that was an issue for him to even get his own restaurant. Cause it, he was kind of, it was like the best show, um, from what I could gather. And I don't want to cause enemies right now, but like, But one of the biggest lessons I've learned on the show is that it's about investing in your people and creating opportunities for others. The most successful restaurateurs don't give a fuck. Actually, it was Octavio Mentilla that said, you can accomplish anything in life as long as you don't mind who gets the credit. And that's John Besh's right hand. Man, was it not? Yeah. Yeah. So like he... Sorry, I dealt a lot with Octavio Mantilla. Oh, Mantilla, sorry. (laughs) You dealt a lot with him? Oh, yeah. He was
1: John's business partner. I mean, I had a lot of meetings with him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, did you learn any lessons around that, as, as like the idea of like, hey, you could have had even more of an empire if you were willing to share some of the limelight?
1: I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to say on this. i don't podcast. get you in trouble. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you want, man. Uh, I don't know. It's it's yours.
1: Like I said, I give credit where credits due. John taught me so much about food, and I was his right hand man for a long time. He brought, everywhere he went to cook, I was usually next to him. Yeah. Until my boys got too old, and then I bowed out, and he took other chefs with him. Okay. Um. You know, but there was a problem where there was like three or four of us that had been with him since he started, and none of us got offered restaurants okay you know there was there was a there was a core group of four guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you know, and they all know who they are and and they've all worked really hard and all- and we all left and opened and, and did our own thing because when we asked for restaurants, we were told no, and that was after. All these other restaurants were open. We're like, hey, I think we, you know, we deserve a shot now. We've been here since. Yeah. Some of us had been there since 2001. Yeah. I've been there since 2001. Two of these other guys came on in 2002 and 2003, and the and the last one came on in 2004. And we had been there working in restaurant August forever. And when we were like, hey, we want to do our own thing, he was like, no, I need you to run the other restaurants. And usually we were running the other restaurants. Well, I don't get into all that, but yeah. But I mean, I remember having a conversation with one of them who's like a brother to me, and he's actually a finalist for the Beard Awards too. But not in—he's in—he's in Texas, and uh, we had a conversation. Where we're like, man, it's just like we're the ones making all this stuff work, and when we ask for things, we get told no. Yeah. So. So. But the- I—but I understand why. Why. I understand because we had all the training. So we were going behind the scenes. Like I was literally getting sent to other restaurants and like having to taste chef partner's foods and tell them what they were doing wrong. Mm. John would send me to try the food and be like, go, go show them how to make a proper whatever, whatever. And I have to go over there and I'm sh- like, dude, I'm sorry that I'm here and you're his business partner. And I'm not, I'm just the chef to cuisine of August, but I was told to come over here and taste all of your food. And okay. it like, dude, like being put in that situation. Yeah. It's kind of shitty. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's how it was, you know. Literally, I'd get sent over to other restaurants to have to taste their food. So, how
0: do you intend to be different from all this? How, like, this is, seems like it was something that kind of stuck with you. Looking, peering into the future, um, I think that there's going to be a similar situation where once we get an idea once society kind of gets a grasp of COVID and how to move forward with this thing, money has to move again, right? Things are going to mm-hmm. open back up again eventually. How are you like? And I think that you're sitting pretty right now with in the sense that like, I mean, we are sitting in my shuttered restaurant right now Yeah, but <laughs> so is it, relative to the rest of the industry. You're no better or worse. Right. You know what I'm saying? We're all in the same, we're in this together, you yeah. know? So when, when things do start to lift, like you have the, this respect, you have this, th- these accolades, you have the like, in, investors are going to be looking to invest. There's going to be openings. Like I feel like you have, like you're going to be able to do things if you want. Hmm. How are you going to do it differently?
1: Well, you know, I don't think that I'll have investors looking to invest. Okay, I think I'm making assumptions. I don't know. Let's We've start. never. I've never been able to pull that part off. I, you know, but also I don't just sign things away willy nilly. I think a lot of times people say, "Oh, I have an, a great investor," but that investor is not a great investor. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I don't even know what a great investor really is. No what's, matter what, an investor wants their money back. You know. And, what's a
0: bad investor?
1: I mean, a bad investor is the one that comes in and tells you that, you know, you have to serve a certain thing because they like it, or, you know, you always have to get their friends in, even if it's a packed night. Like, we have, we technically have an investor, and they are the most hands-off people, you know. They really don't bug us at all, and they've also, they've been really great because they know that we've been struggling, and they have never asked for their money back. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they didn't give us a whole lot of, they just gave us some seed money, and they helped sign on a loan.
0: Okay. And um, how do you keep that relationship just that?
1: Um, I don't really know. Yeah. You know, like I said, they, they, they didn't, the biggest thing they did for us was they signed on the loan for us. Okay. And so as long as we're just keeping everything running, yeah. Then it's not really, then they're kind of fine with it. And, and, and they're willing to grow with us. You know, like Maypop, I don't, I still don't even, you know, we really thought we were hot to trot. You know, we got Food & Wine, Best New Chef, and all that stuff. And, like, 2016, man, we just won so many awards. And it was just like, oh, we got to open another restaurant. And so we opened this restaurant, and we weren't really ready to open this yeah.
0: restaurant. And we're sitting in Maypop right now, for right. people that are watching and listening.
1: And, like, and the thing is, like, it took three years for Maypop to, Like, MoFo made money out of the gate. Yep. It took three years for Maypop to turn the corner. It turned the corner right before COVID hit. Okay. Um, where we really had a... We finally developed a good team. We finally developed a strong uh, sense of what we were.
0: Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's pull back some layers on that. Like how do you develop a good team and how do you develop clarity and and identity?
1: Uh, I mean, developing a good team just takes time. Mm. It takes years to just find a team that really wants to be there. Mm hmm um a team that's responsible enough to where y'all can sit down and have a weekly manager's meeting and be like hey and a weekly chef's meeting and be like all right what do we want to change in the menu what do we want to do what are y'all excited about like that's we had finally gotten to that point like right before everything shut each of my sous chefs had a had a dish on the menu um and all of my all of my cooks had come in and and put up charcuterie in the case like i was i was trying to get everyone to take ownership for the restaurant and we were finally getting there like everyone was was coming up with ideas, like, oh, I want to try fermentation. I want to try this. I want to try that. And so, like, you can still look around and see all of our little projects that mm-hmm. are going on. They're all over the place. They're all just sitting dormant now. But, yeah. but I have finally had a team where everyone was
0: here because they wanted to be here. I think that's a big secret, too, They wanting to be here and creating a culture where people want to right. show up just as bad as you. Um, is that just a matter of being selective with who you allow in or but in, it, Once or? again,
1: New Orleans is a is a cruel mistress. Yeah. Like you, it, there's so many restaurants here. So you run into a problem where you, you have to, you have to just sift through a lot till mm. you find the ones that really want to be here. Yeah. Because there's so, because if they get frustrated one day, if they just get frustrated, they can walk out and get a job the next day because there's so many restaurants yeah. here. I mean, now it's different. Now there's no restaurants Yeah. Here. But uh, I mean, I had a guy who came from California and he would worked for some big name chefs and like, he was all gung ho and he wanted to start like today. And I'm like, all right, man, come on. But you could already tell uh, it's like, all right, he's not really. He's here. He's talking. He's talking all the game like he wants to be here to be a chef, but he actually just wants a paycheck. Yeah. And like he just like started finding fault with all the food, and you're like, dude, like we're not trying to like it's all here, man. Like yeah, you know, like we run our we run our 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 happy hour specials with with by by using all the scraps from the rest of the dishes, and we try to find fun things to do with them, and like make really cool pastes and, and jowls like the, the 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 laotian jowls and we you know we make house-made crackers and bread like we try to do cool things and they're just like this is just too much work i'm like well dude good food is work yeah so i don't know what you want me to do i can't make it like do you want
0: it to be good <laughs> or do you well, like what do you, what is it that you're looking for here how do you create that culture where people just embrace the work and accept mm. that good things take time good things take energy
1: well i try to get everyone to have input on the menu okay and I try to make everyone, like, I try to cheat. And that's the one thing I found falling apart. Like, when, I, when we were at August, everyone was always talking about food. And, and you know, and it, and it struggled a little bit at MoFo, and it's, I think it's there now. But, like, at Maypop, I just, like, the cooks weren't talking about food. And I'm like, guys, why aren't we talking about food when we're here? Like, why aren't we excited about food? We need to be talking about food. Like, what are y'all interested in? What do y'all want to see? What can we do? What can we put on the menu? Like, let's work on it. Mm-hmm. And so it, we had this now it became where like whenever we would sit down and have menu ideas we'd put up what we wanted to change we'd put up what was in season and we'd hang it up on the pass and we're like everyone go home and do research on what you want to put on and like but it it wasn't a perfect animal. You know, some cooks were just worried about getting through service. They didn't want to think about anything extra. Yeah. And then some cooks were too worried about what was next and couldn't get through service. Yeah. And so it's it's I you know, you try to do this pie in the sky, but once again I, I never I never put on airs. Oh, we were running this perfect restaurant where everyone was, you know, we were getting there.
0: Yeah, but it was,
1: it wasn't perfect.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, first, I, I mean, I have to applaud you again for just the the, the transparency and the vulnerableness. And, and you've gotten, I think, four in a row. James Beard semifinalist, best chef in the South. Finally made finalist this year. This, hey. year, but, <laughs> but still, you know what I'm saying? Like, and the, just for perspective, like, because anybody from the outside looking in, you'd be like, they, they must have it dialed in. You know what I mean, right. and I think that this is just a, a, a reality that even if things from the outside looking in look like untouchable and like they're just they got it, like I think that the reality of our industry is that like mm. we everyone is trying to figure it out, right. you know. And um, I think it's important that we get real and have these these conversations and and get vulnerable, you know, so we can right. make real change. What does that look like? I mean. In your opinion, like what has to happen tomorrow for things to change in our industry?
1: I don't know. I mean, that was, but that's a, that's a, but that's a problem that's specific to me. Is you know, it like when people know? But what I mean <laughs> is like when people, when people come and ask me, like I'm not a big, it's a, it's a, it's something that I struggle with. I am not an extrovert. Yeah, it's a learned behavior. I watched John and I saw how he talked to tables and I saw how he talked to people and I just I mimic him mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. it's yeah. so like when I have like a script when I go around and check on tables because I'm not good at. When someone asks me, I, I learned this problem when I, we first opened Mofo. People are like, "Oh, it's good to see you. How are you doing?" And then I tell them honestly how I was doing. They'd be like, "I didn't want all that information." And you're like, "Well, you asked me how I'm doing. I'm, I'm real- <laughs> I want
0: all the information for what it's worth. <laughs> I love this." But but so. I mean, I
1: would just give that to a table in the dining room, and they're like, yeah. "Oh God, I didn't. I didn't want to hear that you had to fire half your staff today and all that stuff because it <laughs> yeah. happened at Mofo. Yeah. Like we had way too much staff, and literally, my business partners came to me like, Michael, we're gonna be out of money, and like." a week like we're doing huge numbers but we're also putting up huge costs yeah and they were like it was like <laughs> i forgot what we named it but there was this day where literally trey blake and i fired i think we fired eight people in one day damn and you know and it, and it's our, like table table but it's and that, that's one thing, but like shit like that, the table would ask, you, "Oh, it's good to see you. How are you?" And I'm like, "Well, this happened today," and they'd be like, "I just wanted you to hear that everything was great." Yeah, and I'm like, "I'm not, I'm not good at just being like fake." Yeah,
0: no, I feel that, man. You know, if I'm going to ask sure.
1: you like how you are, I want to know how you are. Yeah, and too many people, it's just you know, I, I always find it funny. People say that like if you're in in like northern Scandinavian countries, like if you ask someone how they are, you expect to get a real answer. Mm-hmm. Whereas in America, a lot of times we just want someone to say, "Oh, I'm fine."
0: It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, a what's the word? Uh, it, you just. Oh, there's a word for it. Um, you're just going through the motions. It's right. like a, a, the nice thing to do is to ask, but I don't really care. Right. right.
1: And I'm not a, I'm not a big go through the motions person. Yeah. Like, I go around and, and talk to my – and I make it a point. I go around and talk to my staff every day and I ask how they're doing. And I don't want a, a, a shit answer. I want to yeah. know how they're doing. And, and most of them, the ones that know me that have been in a long time, they tell me honestly how they're doing. Yeah. Because they know that I'm, I'm actually – I want to know. I don't want to just get – Superfluous fluff.
0: Yeah, man. Um, I really enjoyed how real this conversation has gotten. Uh, uh, and I just want to, uh, to commend you and everybody I've spoken to this past week to, to try to put the world spinning out of control on pause, to, <laughs> to stop and reflect on your career and the good things that you've accomplished in your life. Right? Um, it's hard to do. And mm-hmm. I just want to acknowledge you for, for doing that and for letting me come in here today. Uh, anything we did not discuss Up to this point, any knowledge, wisdom, experience that you would give somebody looking to get into this industry? Oh, god! I mean, if you're looking to get in the industry,
1: you know, the hard part for me is that no matter what, I've always wanted to be in this industry, and there's been damage due to that. Mm. Hence, my ex-wife, and and you know all and you know all of the shit. And a lot of that, it's because I've been singly focused on just wanting to be in this industry. And, I've, and you know, what's that old thing? Rolling Stones gather no dust, but they leave a lot of busted stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I just, I've always just head down, battering ram through everything because of my single goal of wanting to be able to make it in this industry. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I didn't want... You know, I had these conversations with my ex-wife where she's like, you know, back in the day, you said you never wanted to run a restaurant. You just wanted to work in restaurants. And I'm like, you know, I probably did say that because it seemed like it was too much trouble. But then when I wasn't happy running the restaurant I was running, like I never thought I'd be the chef de cuisine of Restaurant August ever. Yeah. It was such a beast of a restaurant. Yeah. And the food that was that was going out of the kitchen was so amazing. I'm like, I'd never be able to run this restaurant. And then one day I was the chef de cuisine. And I just worked my ass off until I got good at that. And then I, I didn't want to be there anymore, and I, and and for some reason I felt the need to open my own place. I don't know why. I think it's just that human nature.
0: Yeah. And so, I think that's the the, the premise of the entrepreneurial myth, the E myth, the book, the E myth, is that like you're the person who's the technician who makes the pies, right? And you mm-hmm. make your pies so bad, your, your pies are so good, they're better than the owner's pies. So why mm-hmm. are you making pies for the owner when you can be making pies for yourself? because there's all that other shit you got to do on top of making pies right. that you just don't think of, right? 100%. Yeah. And that's what
1: I, I and I always tell that to cooks, so I'm like, don't try to open your own restaurant until cooking is the least of your worries. Mm. Because more often than not, you're going to be doing you're going to be cleaning out a broken freezer. Like I I need to go hang new uh, shade sails on the deck at Mofo at some time in the next 2 days. Yeah. And I don't know when I'm going to find time to do that because I literally have to go work the the, the Ban mi station when i leave here so mm-hmm. it's like i guess the thing is don't do this i just think there was a bubble where everyone thought that being a chef was cool and so they ran out to be chefs but i wouldn't do this unless you really want like you have to give your life over to it mm-hmm. like it's there's no other way but and we forget about that like if you still go talk to the to the old like there's this old guy mr joe Impastato, who has Impastato's restaurant in medry he is in his 80s and he still works His restaurant's closed two days a week. He works five days a week. And he works from 8 a.m. He goes and takes a nap and then he works until 10 p.m.
0: It's probably what keeps him going, honestly, the routine, you know? Right. Yeah. But at
1: the same time, like he had to, everyone else had to change for him. Mm -hmm. And it's the same. And that's the thing. If you're going to run one of these restaurants, if you're going to do this, then you have to, you are going to have to ask everyone in your life to change their rhythms for you Mm. because the restaurant, unfortunately, comes first Mm -hmm. because it's what pays all the bills. Yeah.
0: So, with all that's happened in your career up to this point, with COVID up to this point, looking to the future, um, is there anything you're going to do differently within your businesses to, 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 I don't know, quote unquote, exist in the new normal?
1: Well, it's interesting. Like right now, and we don't know if this is going to last, but like we totally overhauled MoFo's menu. We totally incorporated like digital menu and stuff through our uh, through because all the all of the uh, the POS systems like the good POS systems now are all online like Toast yeah and so you can do everything online you can have your menu cloud based right and your menu is completely online and and navigable through through uh, websites Mm -hmm. we we totally streamlined it we totally streamlined the kitchen like you know we we totally streamlined the labor. And we don't have the P and L numbers to look at yet because we've just re- data, we've just yeah. reopened. But if we can keep running it like this, and we've actually built a really good model for you know we had to do a lot of work on building the model from we opened the airport MoFo, even though we don't own that, that's a partnership deal. And so now it allows us to look at our, do we want to do more MoFo partnerships or do we want to do more MoFos, and that's kind of where we're at because like for the first two years of Maypop, I worked here every day, seven days a week. I opened the restaurant every day. Damn and to get it to where it was making money.
0: Yeah. So if I could summarize what I'm hearing from you is that you're streamlining your processes. You're focusing on doing a few things really well, and you might double down on um, MoFo because that seems to be...
1: We have the best formula for MoFo. Yeah. And if I ever want to retire, I think i got to open more MoFos because I don't need... I can have someone that just loves cooking, but doesn't need to be a classically trained chef to run Mofo. Got gotcha. you. The other Mofo's, like I need Paul to run the Mofo here because we still do really awesome specials and things like that, and I'd like each Mofo to be able to do that. But I, the problem is, is like the more you want to make something chef-driven, the more variables you put into it, mm-hmm. and the more variables you put into it, the more likely there is someone's going to leave unhappy. Yeah, and that sucks. Yeah.
0: Hard times, man. It's a weird world. And uh, again, I just can't stress how, how grateful I am that you're, you know, you got all this on your plate and you're still making time for me, which I think is a testament to the people in this industry, generosity with their time and knowledge. So thank you very much. One question I asked all my guests before going to the speed round, uh, the mission statement is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. How have you transformed over these past, uh, I don't know, 20 years now in the industry?
1: Well, I think I did a lot of learning and then I think I've done a lot of unlearning. Mm. Um, I think I didn't, it's so like the biggest thing that I wish I could teach people and I'm still learning how to do it is just self-evaluation. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? Right. Self-awareness. Right. What are you doing? wrong? And I always thought I was a self-aware person, but I'm learning that I was not aware of me. Mm. And so, you know, I came up in the end of that old school French, Brigade world, and then it's been this whole transition into becoming a much more inclusive and open and these are these are things that need to be aired out and things that need to happen and but how do you do it smart? how do you do it where because no matter what, I still owe a lot of money to a lot of banks yeah and and how do I keep this alive because no matter what, I still have two sons that I have to pay for mm. you know and 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 a bunch of investors that I need to pay back, and a bunch of staff that still re- I still have 20 employees. I at our height, we had 110 employees. Now we have 20 employees, Damn. but those 20 employees still require rely on me to make not me, but our whole company to make sure we're we're, we're pushing this thing forward.
0: I don't know. What yeah. was the question? How have you be transformed? But you, you answered well, in, the question. In learning
1: and just learning to live with the stress. Yeah. Like, because I mean. I, the stress was crippling. The stress was crippling for a long time. How do you live with the stress? Well, I think I did it the wrong way. You just learned to kind of ignore it and just keep going. Yeah. I mean, may Maypop, Maypop was on the edge of closing for the first two years. Every week, we weren't sure if we were going to be open the next week. Yeah. Um, and then to have it shut down all over again, is just like the big, like, so now there's a whole new level of stress. Yeah. But you just sort of every day, you're just like, okay, well, I hope it's here tomorrow. And, You just keep doing, yeah, and you just keep going, and then and then either and just it incrementally got better. I don't know. You just you just learn to live with it, and you just hope that. And it's only if you sit there and actually start thinking about it. If you actually start thinking about it, it'll drive you fucking mad.
0: (laughs) I mean, maybe that's the secret. Is just like I mean, it's good to to reflect and look back, right? But it's also good to keep your eyes. You know, forward and just do control what you do have control over. Yeah. Awesome conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a true speed round. So I point out a lot today in today's episode, uh, how vulnerable chef Michael has gotten with us. And I'm going to get vulnerable with you now. He's inspired me to get vulnerable. So the truth of the matter is it's tough for restaurants stoppable, And I feel weird saying that to you guys because god knows you know how, how it feels to be vulnerable but you know it's trickling up and this is affecting all satellite industries around the restaurant industry and my sponsors are products and services that sell to the restaurant industry so when you stop paying my, my sponsors in the sense when you stop using their tools and services because you have no money they have no money to put into marketing which means restaurant stoppable suffers so this ad today is created to kind of let you know one uh you can support the show by sharing this thing the more people that know about Restaurant stoppable the better also uh use our links one of our sponsors for the past uh, few months during COVID-19 has been Toast Tab, the number one recommended POS. Head to ToastTab.com slash unstoppable and that will really support the show and we're going to split our profit with you. So if you know of anybody who's in the market for, for POS, I'm telling you we are offering the best deal. And the last thing I'm going to put on your radar that will really support this mission to inspire, empower, and transform this industry is by joining our network. So one of the biggest lessons I learned in 2019 is that I was going to Too fast that I was spreading myself too thin that I was trying to connect with too many people and in the process of meeting all these people I've never been more alone and I and I want to slow down I want to increase the quality of relationships, not, incre- not increase the qual- the quantity of relationships, but the quality of my relationships. And for me, that means uh, developing this network, inviting my most impactful past guests to come on and to join this network and inviting my most loyal restaurant stoppable listeners to come join this, this network. And I'm literally going to be hanging out with you guys every week for one hour most days. Monday is going to be masterminds. Uh, Tuesday is going to be our book club where we're going to dive deep into a book and maybe hopefully get that author on the show to talk with them on Wednesdays, which will be a live recording that if you're in our community, you will be able to join that live recording. You'll be on the show live with us, uh, doing these workshops. And then on Friday's episode, it's going to be a Q and a recorded immediately after on Wednesday that you will be able to ask your questions to my guests and to get access to the most impressive minds in the industry. If you want to join this community, head over to restaurant, Come hang out with me, come join this community and be a part of this mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Again, that is restaurant dot com. We're back and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Bullheadedness. <laughs> What's your biggest weakness? Bullheadedness. <laughs> happens a lot uh, when the, those answers line up. That's uh, more often than you believe. Um, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process?
1: Hmm. The ability to hold a conversation.
0: Mm. Why is that important?
1: Because I need to be able to talk to my staff.
0: What's your biggest challenge today? Kind of obvious.
1: I mean, the biggest challenge today is to hold on to what I still have, figure out how to move that forward.
0: Yeah. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your teams Is a core value, a way to be, a way to act? Please and thank you. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your business, a way to go above and beyond, but not common throughout the industry.
1: I mean, that's a hard one. It is. That's why yeah. I ask it. <laughs> I think the big thing is we always put bullets in our staff's guns. So, like, if they feel uncomfortable with the table, they have to let us know. Um, Where we, we always have their back, mm. you know. As, typically, if you've been with us long enough, then we know you're a good person. Uh, obviously, when you're newer, it's, you have to kind of prove yourself. But if you've been with us a long time, like, we have your back when it comes to dealing with the table. Yeah. And we're happy to take you off the table and have the manager wave to them or we're happy to ask them to leave.
0: I think that is a standard of service because we, we have to serve our guests, our inner guests first, our employees, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Ugh. I
1: mean, I know the one book I tell everyone to read. What is that? Sapiens.
0: Oh, I love that book. Yeah. Dude, uh, Near y'all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's not. That's a different guy. But yeah. I can't say his last name. It's too hard. But awesome book. Why is that book important? It just teaches you why
1: we are the way we are. It's so important, dude. And, uh, you know, the one thing we always say is that once you become a manager, you basically become a psychiatrist for your whole staff. Yep. And reading that book just allows you, like, tribalism and the, the want for people to, to stick together but then at the same time want to sell each other out. And it's just, like, the ability to try to look at things from a bigger picture when you get pulled into into petty squabbles yep. and
0: like when you understand human behavior and what we come from and why we are the way we are, it's so much easier to go forward. And like, that's what I tell people. It's just like, it's like and it, the book is sapiens, a brief history of humankind. And it's literally it goes back to 200,000 years ago, starting with the cognitive revolution. They go from the cognitive revolution to the agricultural revolution to 10,000 years ago. We mm. talk about the impact we've had on this world. Like dude, we've been destroying the planet for the longest time <laughs> like we're thinking just now we're just catching on that. We're destroying it. We've been destroying it for the, right. the longest time time and then uh through the scientific revolution it's like a fast forward mm-hmm. it's a really great book and i recommend anybody and a lot about religion yeah, and, and the, the why religion is important and what damage religion has done to i think they touch on a little bit yep. it's really eye-opening book for mm-hmm. sure thank you for mentioning that and it's on audio so if you head over to audible com slash unstoppable you can get that book for free on us thank you in advance for using our links <laughs> what is one thing you feel tours don't do well enough or often enough God,
1: I don't know. Um, I, you know, the, that's a hard question again because I think that I try to surround myself with good restaurateurs. Um, and you know, it's it's one of those things, especially now, where in I feel like, God, man, I don't want to say anything negative about our industry when our industry is cu- it's currently struggling to live. Yeah. At all, like we don't know what our industry is going to look like on the other side. So I almost feel bad putting any any kind of negative. But I think right now the cool thing is that we're addressing all of those things yeah
0: and i'm, I'm right there with you it's exactly what was going through my mind when you're saying that like we have this time to pause mm-hmm. and reflect on what was wrong like but i think
1: the number one thing is what we've already touched on is like how do we make a healthier environment for our staff and i think that means we're going to run with smaller restaurants
0: yeah i think it comes down to a a shift in culture throughout the industry, right? A sh- not just within the individual restaurants, but a, a cultural standard throughout the industry mm-hmm. that we need to be on the same page about. We need to come together. And that's, that's exactly why this podcast exists right. to communicate, to share knowledge, to come together so we can it, transform the industry. And I, I'm right there with you, man. Yeah, I think um, the,
1: the bigger is better problem is going to the America. America's always been about bigger is better. And I think we're going to learn that bigger just not. means you get ground up in the gears. Yeah,
0: I, I agree, man. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've, Adopted within your operations had a huge impact on, on communication and profitability efficiency anything along those lines.
1: Well, I mean, you know, the toast to POS system was, so a, was a huge cause we, we had, we had, well, we had toast is only at MoFo right now okay? because we've, we've, we, we we've used three different operating systems. Yeah. Uh, Micros, Aloha and toast. And just, I mean, it's just light years ahead of what we were using forever. Um, it's just such a better system. And we, you know, we, we, we didn't want to change cause we'd already bought like the micro system and we you're trying to figure out how to make micros worse worth work, but it's just, it's just like, yeah, it's like boomer versus millennial. Like as soon as you switch over to something like that, where everything is just, it's like working on a, on a, a app on your phone it's just so integrated. Yep. And you can just keep integrating it, everything from your online ordering to, your, to, your, to monitoring your sales, to monitoring your labor. It's like, dude, if you, do the, if you do the dirty work and put all of it in, like, it just gives you everything you need.
0: Yeah, and uh, Toast is a current sponsor of Restaurant Unstoppable. You did oh. not know that. I did, did not you? know this that. Is not a pitch. Uh, <coughs> but by far the number one most recommended POS on the show. Uh, if you guys use our link toasttab.com slash unstoppable, you will get up to $1,000 worth of incentives that Toast is offering. I think it's one month of free POS service three months of delivery and online ordering and free or 50% off into implementation oh, implementation. Can I, get, can I get that? Uh, <laughs> you could have, if you uh, clicked our link a few months back. Um, but, and on top of that, we're splitting our commission with our listeners. So they're going to pay us $2,500 for everybody. We send their way uh, after taxes. It's about $2,000. We're going to send you a check for a thousand dollars for using our link to thank you. Cause you guys, I know you need it. We need it. We all need it. Please use our links. Uh, moving on. Have to do those things. You understand, right? Yeah, I got it. You got to stay in business. This is the last question. Are you ready for it? No. You got the news. <laughs> You'd leave this world. You're leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, in your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind, man. I love the expression people get on their face when I ask this question. I, I was just
1: like, I should have been paying better attention.
0: <laughs> three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of this industry and for your legacy. What would those three things be? Take
1: the time. To look at your business, mm-hmm. like take the time to stop and really look at your business and see how everyone's operating. That's one. Um, well, one of them is a piece of wisdom that I haven't figured out yet. So make time for yourself, but I haven't I haven't figured that one out yet. Two, <laughs> I guess be okay with the fact that if you're going to give your staff a good working environment, it means that you have to sacrifice some things mm,
0: that's three man i've loved this conversation uh thank you so much for making time and even through all that's going on to to sit here with me to make time for me is a statement uh it's a testament to who you are and what you represent i appreciate that I wrap up every chat by calling somebody out uh so who's one person you respect and admire and we would listen to an episode if you knew that he was being interviewed well, who's that one person that comes mind, or two or three people if you can't think of just one
1: I would love to hear uh, Jeff Hurd from Hurd Dad Kitchen.
0: Okay, Jeff Hurd, look out. I'm coming after you. Do you have (laughs) more to say? I don't want to cut you short.
1: Uh, It's about Jeff Hurd. Yeah. I mean, he was, uh, it's funny, he was a banquet captain for us at Restaurant August. Okay. And then, but he did a little catering gig on the side. And he also has like this amazing wine knowledge. He would come and bring his wife in uh, for their anniversary and bring these amazing wines. And we'd cook for him at August, but he'd bring all his own wines. Yeah. And they were phenomenal always. Um, And then he opened this little. Walk up window in Central City, Louisiana, and puts out like the. I'm sorry, Central City, New Orleans, and puts out this amazing Creole, like traditional Creole cuisine that's just super flavorful. And he's busy all the time. Nice, you know, he's like he's just killing the game, and, and he just does it because he loves doing it. Jeff
0: Heard, look up and come after you. And how can we connect? If we want to come join your team when you reopen. Uh, if we resonated with your story today, uh, what's the best way to connect? Social handles, websites, things like that.
1: Um, I mean, I'm Michael Galata on Instagram. Pretty easy. Yep. Uh, Mofo Noah is our website.
0: Mofo Noah is also Mofo's Instagram. Okay. If you want to go check out? I'm not sure what episode number this is yet, but if you listen to the closing thoughts, head over to RestaurantStoppable.com/slash whatever the episode number is. We'll be sure to link to any tools or services recommended in today's chat, as well as a summary of today's discussion. Uh, Michael, again, thank you so much, man, uh, for taking the time to make time for us to share your story, your knowledge, and just to shoot the shit, man. It was a really raw open, authentic conversation. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you again, Michael Gulata, for coming on the show, uh, for getting real, for getting vulnerable. And, you know, it's weird. We, We... It's just... Our industry is freaking weird. It comes down to that. We... We, I don't know if it's ego, if it's pride, if it's you know being willing to to chase this desire to do the right thing when it comes to food and our, our practices and uh, sourcing uh, responsibly and being sustainable. But and, I, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I think I'm, if anything, I'm encouraging more of us to do this. But what I need to communicate, what I hope you are communicating to those in your network is the value of food the value of the service we provide and why we need to start charging and coming together in 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 coming on to, like not like we coming together with other people in the network uh, other professionals in the network and our 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 guests and communicating with them saying this is what it costs to do food right and letting people know that there is a broken system out there and if it's going to change it's going to change from within and we need to be aligned on that we need to, to be on the same page with that if we're ever going to get out of this and if things are ever going to get better on in our industry and it's not just our, our issue with margins uh, it's also just the, the quality of of life there's a lot of issues in our industry and there's a lot of opportunity right now to make it right so start communicating start talking to people let's 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 get on the same page let's come together better than we've ever come together before and on that note of being uh you know humble and vulnerable uh you know, restaurant unstoppable struggling right now to be completely honest uh we are getting more downloads than ever before our downloads are 20 percent higher than the b- before covid19 but the thing is sponsors are really struggling to find the money to invest in their marketing so that means we are struggling to find sponsors so if you know of anybody who would be interested in sponsoring restaurant unstoppable uh, maybe some products that are doing well because of COVID-19 please put them on my radar and the other thing you can do to support the show is share this thing with anybody and everyone you know that's aspiring to be great and then lastly please I mentioned it during the intro or the, the ad today please come join our network restaurant unstoppable network come be a part of the conversation come hang out all right guys